Okay, Ephesians chapter 6 is where I'd like you to uh, turn this morning in your Bibles. Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to be looking specifically at verses 1 through 4. Topic of our discussion this morning is the home that God gives us as a place where His truth is passed on from generation to generation. Uh, As we enter into a discussion about family life and parenting, I want to just uh, offer a couple of important clarifications. One is this. I do not perceive myself to be an expert when it comes to the topic of family and parenting. Uh, But I do love the family. Uh, I love the idea of family. I love the gift of family that God gives to us. I love being a parent. I love being a husband. And so uh, I am in hearty agreement with God's desires. I also must say this. I would love to have a do-over in certain areas of my marriage and my parenting. A second chance. But you don't get second chances. Okay? You don't get to wind the clock back and start over. So I want to encourage you and challenge you today. Start where you are. To be the mom and dad. To be the husband and wife that God desires for you to be. Living in regret solves nothing. But you can start today to walk by the Spirit and the paths that God has for you. An observation that I would make in our culture, and I think that many would make today, is that we have a world in which many people desire to have children, but not many have a sustained commitment to marriage and being parents. There's a difference between having children and being a parent and being a godly husband and wife. And so... I I feel at times as the church, we need to challenge the view that children are seen often as a liability because the culture we live in tends to be self-absorbed. So if you take self-absorbed people and put someone in their life and say, love this person, care for this person, there's something in us that rises up against that degree of sacrifice. It's true in the context of marriage. It's true in relationship to the task of parenting that God has called us to do. But as we read through the Bible, here's what you will notice. The Bible places a high value on the topic of family, on the issue of the household. Ephesians 2.19 calls the church the household of God, the family of God. In, In Mark chapter 10, Jesus is talking about the issue and responsibility of children. And he talks about how the culture had a tendency to disregard children. But Jesus said, let the children come to me, for to them belongs the kingdom of God. He elevated children in a culture that tended to not have a high view of or a high esteem for the issue of parenting. I think we live in a world much like that. We live in a world where people will ask me a question like this. Do you have any children? My response six or seven years ago was, yes, I have three daughters. And they would say, and you kind of get this, oh, (laughs) this idea that you should be living in dread and fear, okay, that that must be the most horrible experience on the planet. People, you know, kind of issued words of consolation, try to comfort you. And we we kind of live in a world where it's seen as, you know what, things are going to be rough, it's going to be hard, it's not enjoyable. But the Bible gives us a different perspective. It calls us to love the experience of parenting. It calls us to love and embrace the experience of family life in a way that honors and glorifies God. I believe that we as parents can be optimistic about the process of raising children for the glory of God. I believe God's Word gives us instruction so that we can put it into practice and see the results of it in our lives. 
Not always this ironclad promises. I understand that our children will go through seasons of struggle. But by and large, God wants us to see this experience as positive. He wants us to be, as obedient children of His, optimistic in this experience. So we don't grovel in despair. We don't offer each other consolation. You know, well, things will get better down the road. No, enjoy every season that God gives you with your children. It is a gift from God. Psalm 127 says that children are a heritage from the Lord. Knowing that there will be challenges and struggles and, and, and anxiety at times that we experience in the process. But it is a gift. It's not a punishment from God. It's a gift from God. Okay? So just fight against that. Encourage parents that are having children. Don't tell them to, oh, enjoy them now. Like, Thanks a lot. <laughs> I hope to, I plan to love and enjoy them. That's what God wants us to do, just like he relates to us. The home is a relay race. The home is a, it's a team effort. It's a place where we take the truth that God has given to us and we seek to pass it on to the next generation. That's the design of God. That's the plan of God. Deuteronomy chapter 6 talks about the home in this sort of an analogy and picture. It says, these are the commands and decrees and the laws the Lord your God has directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing over the Jordan to possess so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I am giving you. And so that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Now see folks, here's the idea that God is giving to us as parents. Take the truth that I've given to you by the Spirit and, and, and driven into your heart. Pass it on to the next generation so that they can pass it on to the next generation. The home is a place where truth about God, where a relationship with God is encouraged and fostered. And we, we should look at that as a privilege to take truth the truth about God, His love and His grace, and pass it on to the next generation. So it is a, it's a place where we're in a relay race, and the critical part of a relay race is the passing on the baton. If the baton is dropped, failure is inevitable. So what do we need to do? Own the truth of God's Word. Make it part of your life, and then pass it on to the next generation in the process of parenting and presenting for them a godly picture of our relationship to Christ through our marriages. That's God's desire. Now, God's Word gives us instruction about parenting, about home life. And many people wonder, does it work? Is it effective? Paul Tripp makes this observation in an answer to that question. He says, God's ways are not inadequate, but largely untried. Okay, the, the, the Word of God in relationship to parenting is not inadequate. It's not flawed. But it is largely untested and untried in our homes. We tend to default to the norms of our culture. We accept lesser standards in our culture. As opposed to taking the words that God has given to us, putting them into practice, and watching them work in an effective way as they are the power of God. We need to rescue biblical dynamics in relationship to our family lives. And what I want to encourage us to do this morning is to look at God's truth, God's principles, and put them into practice in the context of our homes. That's the encouragement I want to give you this morning. My aim is that we would walk out of here optimistic that things can be different in our lives. 
My goal is not to make you feel bad about your failures in parenting. All of us have them. All of us have regrets. All of us would like a do-over. But all of us can start where we are today. To be more and more the parents that God wants us to be. We can grow in this responsibility. We can learn more about how to be effective in these ways so that God can be glorified and honored. Now, what I want to say about the passage we're going to look at real quickly is this. Verses 1 to 4 of chapter 6 are set in a larger context. Okay, the larger context reached back into chapter 5 in verse 18 where the Apostle Paul gave this command that is covering everything that follows it in the rest of the book. Okay, it says this. Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Okay, so that effective parenting is rooted in what? It's rooted in a personal relationship with God wherein the Spirit of God has taken up residence in the life and is energizing godly parenting and godly relationships in the home. That's the picture that moves forward. Verse 21 captures how it looks. Here's what it says. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then out of that honoring God-given structures, it moves into specific ways in which that is revealed. First way is in the relationship between a husband and wife. God has structure for home lives, for marriages. He wants us to honor those structures. We looked at over the past few weeks. Secondly, this text moves into the idea of the parent-child relationship. So you have a home with structure that God has given to it. God brings children into that relationship. And God has a way that children should relate to their parents and a way that parents should relate to their children. That's part of submitting to one another. It's part of taking our God-given role and functioning in that role according to the standards and directives that God gives. All of that happens under the power of the Spirit of God. Okay, so it's just important that we don't say, okay, what I need is more advice on what I should do with my children. That's not what I need. What I need is a fullness of the Spirit of God that makes godly living and godly parenting possible. See, it's possible to know biblical truth about parenting and not put it into practice. Okay, it's possible for a child to know what God expects of them, but they may, apart from the Spirit of God, in fact, I believe they will, find it impossible to follow the godly standard, apart from a work of the Spirit of God in their lives. So as we move into this discussion, we want to do it with the understanding that, Mom and Dad, we have a task to guide our children to understand these God-given structures. Okay, and so this text is going to move in two ways, directives to children And then it's going to move in the direction of directives to parents. Let's look first at verses 1 through 3. The Bible says this. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. For this is right. Honor your father and mother. Which is the first commandment with the promise. That it may go well with you. And that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Now you would think that the average child should read that text and say, you know what? There really is no other way to live. Right? That's what you would, you would hope they would read that and say, do you want long life? Do you want it to go well with you? Do you want the blessing of God in your life? Every kid saying, yeah, I do. Okay, God's directive to you is very simple in this text. And here's the basis or, or summary of the, object, of, of the statement. And let me, let me just say this. As you read Ephesians 6, 1 to 3, here's the idea you get. You get the idea that children are involved in the assembly of the church as they gather together. And as this letter is read, Paul, under inspiration, is giving what? Direction to children who presumably are there, are under the power of the Spirit of God, and are able to respond to the truth that's being given. So children, young people, 
Here's what God says to us. God expects from us in relationship to our parents, obedience and honor. Obedience and honor. And these words move in two ways. I'm going to give you a simple definition of obedience, one that I use every time I teach on parenting or talk about this topic. Obedience is doing what you were asked to do, when you were asked to do it, and with the right attitude. Okay? Some of us have struggled with that, okay? All right, what you're asked to do, when you're asked to do it, and with the right attitude. I believe that is a summary statement of what it is to obey and honor your parents. Honor is this. It is basic respect for God-given authority. Now, here's our struggle, isn't it? The struggle is this. Every parent in this room is imperfect. Every child in this room seeks to honor and obey an imperfect parent. And so what does it do? It grates again. It's why, it's why in the context of marriage relationships, there's struggles, right? Because it's a sinner who committed to a sinner. And a child is called to honor and obey their mom and dad. Guess what the problem is? The parents are imperfect. They're hypocritical at times. They fall down at times. They struggle at times. Here's what the text says. It says, honor and obey your parents, for this is right. This is what's written. This is what's appropriate. This is a standard. And it's fascinating, isn't it? Across the world, this is a standard that is accepted, isn't it? It's right by nature, by God's design, and it is also right because it is what God's Word teaches. Okay, when you see a rebellious child, there's something in you that it makes you uneasy. Okay, you're hanging out at ShopRite doing your shopping and a kid's going off on his mom or dad in the cart and just letting them have it. You don't stand there and say, this is beautiful. <laughs> right? It, it, it is dis- it's unnatural. There's something in you that says, straighten that kid out. Okay, there, it, there's no sense that, you know, that's normal. That's just the way things are. No, there, there's something in you that wishes it was different because you know it's not right. And so God says to children, honor your mother and father. Obey your mother and father. That's a God-given obligation. Rebellion before God is serious. And mom and dad, this is why it's not a laughing matter when our kids disobey us. It's not a light matter. Okay, this is a question I think we need to put out to our culture. Is, is rebellion on the part of children a serious issue? Okay, is a failure to honor mom and dad a serious issue? And I, I, I could look at two texts for you. But I'll just read you from, first, from 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1. I, what I want you to catch is this. Catch the list that describes fallenness in a broken world and notice what is at the center of this list. Paul says this to Timothy. Timothy, mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive. You know what comes next? Disobedient to parents. I think ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. The reason I'm reading that text to you is this. I, I think often... We don't see rebellion and disobedience as serious. And I don't think most children see it as that big of a deal. 
And so I just want to press this in your direction and understanding that God takes this issue of rebellion and disobedience in a very serious way. We live in a world where I think you can make this observation that many parents seem to lose control of their children somewhere around 10 to 12 years of age. They become unmanageable and uncontrollable. And mom and dad, I want to argue this before you. I want to encourage you in this way. Start early with your kids. Have an expectation that they're going to do what you ask them to do, when you ask them to do it, and with the right attitude. Okay? Live with that expectation. It's why your children often are different at school than they are at home. Most parents are often shocked by that. Right? Why is it that way? Because not, not in every case, but often in the context of the school environment, the teacher can't put up with the things that you put up with at home because it would be disrupted to the community of the school as a whole. And so they enforce standards and give consequences for bad behavior. And mom and dad, I just want to encourage you, do that. Have an expectation that your children, by the power of the Spirit of God, can live these standards. What's the motive Verse 3, it says that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Now, what does that mean? Here's what it means. It means, children, young person, your response to parental authority affects two things. It affects the quality of your life and it affects the length of your life. Okay? First one is not as stunning as the second one, is it? The second one is stunning. Why? Because if I cultivate a pattern of rebellion young, what's going to happen? That pattern is going to carry into the rest of my life, and I will be a person who lives without restraint. So mom and dad, guess what? Where do children learn self-restraint? Not from their friends. Okay? They learn it from you. And as we encourage our young people to live in obedience and honor in a respectful way under the God-given direction and authority of their parents, what am I doing? I am giving them a blessing that is lifelong. The most loving thing I can do for my kids is to expect from them a response in good timing with the right attitude. Because if I let them cultivate an attitude of rebellion and distance and, and fighting against authority, I am, I am in some way affecting the duration of their life. So in Proverbs 6.20, God says to children, don't forsake your father's command or your mother's instruction. Right? It is wise to live under that even when it is imperfect. Now, by way of application, let me make this observation. For a child to disregard their parental authority and direction, for a child to fail to honor their mother and father, is in fact to disregard the direction of Christ in your life. It is to cast off the God-given direction and authority. Colossians 3.20 says this, Obey your parents in everything. This pleases the Lord. It brings joy into your life. Maybe you're here this morning and you're wondering why your parents said no to something that you wanted. You don't understand it. And you're, what do you start to question? You start to question whether they even care about you. Because they won't ha let you have this or that electronic device. Or they won't let you hang out with this group of friends. Or they won't let you watch this movie. And as, as a child, what do you, what, in your heart you're not saying, God, thank you for parents that won't let me do what I want to do. And that won't let me have what I want to have. It, it's not that, that's not our natural. And young people, we understand that. Okay, but your parent is acting out of love. They're acting out of what is best for you. I, look, honestly, 
I don't know parents that try to plan their child's unhappiness. How can I have my child have the most unhappy existence on the planet? That's what I want. It's not fun for a parent to have to give those kind of restrictions. But at times, it is necessary. And I, I just encourage you, if I disregard the concern of my dad as an older teen child, I'm disregarding God. In His wisdom, He gave you people who set boundaries in your life that you don't like, but they're beneficial. They're helpful. Okay, and to resist that and to reject that is to say, God, I, you know what? I think I can handle this better than you. Okay, that's essentially where we're going. So it, not only for the younger children, but for teenagers, those in college, I, I, I plead with you. Don't look at your parents as an obstruction to your happiness, and I can't wait until I get away from them and I can finally live the life that I want to live. You will destroy the quality of your life. By and large, your parents are seeking to bring the love and protection of God into your life. Are they unreasonable at times? Yes. Do they get it wrong at times? Yes. Are they too restrictive at times? Yes. But the real question is why? The real question is why are they putting these boundaries there? And even if your parents are misguided in the boundaries that you, they've given you, if they're too strict and too restrictive, I would bet that their goal in life is to protect you. And if that's true, it would be foolish to resist and fight against and make your whole environment in life unhappy. They are God-given director, directors in your life. Trust them. Heed their advice because they mediate the authority and love of God into your life. Now, folks, here's an interesting thought. Jesus had imperfect parents and Jesus had a perfect parent, right? To his imperfect parents, Luke chapter 2 says, he came under their authority and he learned obedience. Luke chapter 22, Jesus is in the garden hearing a directive from his father that he does not want to do. Right? Go to the cross. Pay the price for the sin of the world. What does Jesus say? Father, if it's possible. Now here, what do you learn? There's an appropriate process of appeal. Father, if there is any other way, let this cup pass me from me. Nevertheless, not my will, not my desire, but yours. And Jesus demonstrated a perfect obedience in difficult circumstances. And young people, I want to encourage you this morning just to rethink your relationship to your parental authority. Rethink your response to the directive that your parents are giving you. Rethink when they're restrictive in areas where you want freedom and openness. Think about why they're doing it. And understand that they have a God-given responsibility to guide and to direct your life and to make hard calls in your life for your benefit. And as a means of doing this, mediating a relationship between you and God until you are old enough to slide out from under authority and under the authority of God in your life. Okay, because that's the role that we as parents have. It's not always easy. Sometimes it, in, in this world, it is hard to know with all of the access to the internet, all of the things that can harm you that are there. Sometimes it does freak us out. Sometimes it does make us hyper cautious. But understand that the aim of a parent is to bring the best thing into your life, not to restrict it and not to kill your opportunity for joy. Mom and dad, God has given us in this text a task to guide and direct our children to understand this structure 
Because their children don't come out of the womb saying, yes, mom, yes, dad, whatever you want. It's no, they come out with this natural tendency when you're holding them and they want to get down and you need to hold them and they want to stiffen up like a two by four and you're trying to hug a two by four, right? That natural tendency. And that starts to manifest itself in various ways as they get older. But verses one to three are not a text that a child can read and understand on their own. They need you as a mom and dad to show them, to teach them lovingly, not screaming, lovingly, that God has called you to honor your mom and dad. God has called you to obey your mom and dad. And when you do, that is the path of blessing in your life. Call them, call them, entreat them. Don't beat them up verbally. Don't demean them. Okay, give them words of entreaty, calling and, 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 and encouraging them. To the task of obeying you, which isn't always easy, simple, always simple and easy. Okay, so keep that in mind. What's the directive to parents in verse four? Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Let me just, I'll address one question. Why is this directed to dads and not to moms here? Is it because moms don't give instruction? Now, I already quoted you from Proverbs chapter six, I believe verse 20, where a child is told that he is being foolish if he disregards the instruction of his father and mother. Okay, earlier, what did the text say? Children, obey your parents, mom and dad. By the way, that's God's design, despite what the Supreme Court says. Okay, honor your mother and father. That's the directive of God's word. That's the context in which God wants to see you raised. Okay, so mom and dad are both part of this. Why does he say fathers? I believe because fathers have a a leadership responsibility in the context of the home to lead out in this area. Okay, to set the pace. Men, don't leave this burden on the shoulders of your wife. Man up. Step up. Be the man that God has called you to be. Often men are lagging behind spiritually, and so women have a deeper concern for spiritual things. I want to encourage you as men, be the man that God has called you to be. He identifies you as the one here who is not to exasperate your children, but instead to bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Now, What is the goal of parenting? What's the goal? You ever sit down and think about that? You know, most of us go through Lamaze classes when we're going to have children. We learn about the moment of birth, kind of like what we do with marriage, right? Spend a whole lot of time getting ready for a wedding and not a whole lot of time getting ready for a marriage for life together. What's the goal? John Piper states it this way in his book, Momentary Marriage. He said, in regards to children, God brings a man and a woman together to make children and to make them disciples. Okay, and I'm giving it to you in that way because I think that's so simple. God brings you together to reproduce and multiply and fill the earth, Genesis 1, 27 and 28. He wants you to make children. He wants you to make those children by his grace disciples. Okay, to raise up a generation of people who love God and want to honor and know him. So as Paul moves into this, he he moves into it with this aim very clear in his mind. It is to raise Christ followers by us as parents embracing our God-given role. And the role that God gives to us, it's not complicated. It's not it's not in any way vast. It's a very it's a very simple directive that he gives to mom and dad. And here's the way it works. It works as a warning first. And then as a directive, note the warning at the beginning of verse four, do not exasperate your children. The idea of this word, do not exasperate your children, simply is 
Don't prompt them to resentment. Okay, don't push them to anger. Okay, now children are saying, yeah, that's what they need to hear, okay? Right, give them theirs now. Okay, and it's true. We can, as parents, in certain ways, prompt resentment in our kids. We can provoke them to anger. And so the question is, how does that happen? Well, in, 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 in the first century setting in Rome, children were not seen as a valuable commodity. A father in the Roman culture had absolute power over his child to injure, to beat, to kill, and to sell. Okay, that's Rome. Okay, and that, that relationship to the child was unaffected by external authorities. All right, that's the world in which Paul is writing. Okay, it was a world that did not value children, but I think in an opposite way that we deal with in our culture. Okay, in our culture, I think children are seen as a liability and an inconvenience and as an expense. Okay, in, in the ancient world, it was, it was quite, it was, it was a very, very negative view. And the, the, the relationship of parent-child tended to be very abusive, controlling, and destructive. In that setting, Paul says, fathers, it is inexcusable for you to be responsible for, for provoking your child to anger and resentment. Now, how does it happen? And I just collected some different ideas on this. Here's how it happens. Excessive severity, or even severity in discipline. Nagging, discouraging comments. Neglect, just simply too busy. Bitter or harsh words. Arbitrary directives without reasons. Do this. Well, can I ask why? Just to do what I told you to do. Okay, But usually that's said with a lot of force. Bitter or harsh words. Public discipline that humiliates sarcasm towards your child. Unrealistic expectations. Inconsistent consequences and favoritism. Now you can add to that list. Okay, there are a lot of ways in which we frustrate and build resentment in our children. Now, here's what God says to us. He says, stop doing things that frustrate and build resentment in your children. Okay, so just a very clear call to stop. And, and what do we need to remember at times? Here's what we need to remember at times. It's possible that we're treating our children as if they are pets as opposed to people. Okay, they're people. They're little people. Some people call them pre-people. Okay, they're, they're on their way to becoming adults. All of the sensitivities that you have, they have. They're in different forms, but they have them. Those emotional sensitivities, those physical struggles, all those, it's all part of the picture. And things that you say to them can wound them and damage them for life. But a lot of the times as parents, we get worked up in a moment. Now, what do we do? In the moments, we're exasperating, we're frustrating them, we're reacting to them. Okay, God says, be quite careful. They're little people that should be respected and honored, and the preciousness of them should be received by a mom and dad. We do that on the day of their birth, right? But when they start to express their personality and sometimes rebellion, what happens? It gets your back up. And instead of responding as a God-given representative, we respond in our flesh. And we end up with these troubles and volcanic struggles in the context of our homes where we thought things would be so different. So dad, mom, be careful. Be tender as you raise your child. 
What's the task then positively? Paul says, instead, bring them up. So what does he do? He, he, he's working away from, 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 from an idea of, of strong, heavy-handed control to what? He's moving to uh, an idea that urges restraint, control, and thoughtfulness in relationship to your child. Don't do what comes to you instinctively. Don't treat your children in the way that you were raised. Treat them in the way that God says they should be raised. Okay? And the idea of the words here is this. This idea of bringing them up means to raise them tenderly or with affection, to nourish and to feed, has the ideas of being gentle and giving security to your children. Bring them up. Raise them up. Okay, it's kind of like giving care to a plant. Okay, give it the water it needs, give it the food it needs, give it all those things so that it can flourish and become what it was intended to be. Same thing is true in relationship to our children. Bring them up, cultivate in them a tender affection. Guard this responsibility, mom and dad. You have the primary responsibility before God to raise them and to see them grow. Okay, so that's a, a picture that emerges here. Secondly, he says, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. I'm just going to state this in a, hopefully a very simple way. Educate them patiently. Okay, educate them patiently. That education involves teaching and communication of truth. We saw that in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 6, and it comes out here. Give them teaching, but the balance of that is also give them admonition is the way that this word is translated in some of your Bibles. I think the King James has it that way. Bring them up at the training and admonition of the Lord. Admonition has the ideas of corrective direction that is needed along the way don't wait till your children are in full-blown rebellion to address problems okay stay involved be be involved not only as a disciplinarian be involved also as a gentle encourager okay a lot of times as dads we say okay i'm the leader so i guess that means i'm the heavy hand okay i'm the the kind of the final authority okay when i'm called in it's really bad okay now i think the bible's calling us to be involved all along the way here Bring them up, tenderly grow them, and discipline them for their good and for their benefit. Now, part of this process of training, okay, involves the communication of God's Word. And Deuteronomy chapter 6 tells us that we should take the truth of God's Word and we should talk about it when we sit down and when we rise up and when we walk along the way and we go to bed at night. All right, the idea from the book of Deuteronomy for Israel is this. When you go into the promised land, live God's truth all the time. Mom and dad, if you live the truth of God, it will limit hypocrisy. And I believe in this way, in many ways, it will also limit the amount of resentment that your children gain towards you. Okay, It's difficult enough in the world that we live in. You don't need to give them excuses to be upset with you. Okay, We need just, just to be careful that we are bringing them up and raising them in a way that truly honors and pleases God. Now, that being said, that the goal of parenting is to make disciples. This discipleship of our children is going to require from us the discipline of time with them, and then it is also going to require the practical application of truth to life, meaning this. Meaning we're going to have to take time along the way with our children to be with them, set apart time to spend time with them, enjoy their life together, but also have times where you're teaching them the truth of God's word in practical settings and application. All right, give them the reasons for why you're doing what you're doing in life. 
If you're here this morning and you're a single parent, I just want to say this to you real quick. Or let's say you're in a home where you're a Christian and your mate is an unbeliever. Okay, or not devoted to the Lord. How do you function in that environment? Where you don't have absolute authority, you don't have absolute control, there's not a united front in terms of the directions that are being given to the child. Okay, what do you do? Okay, here's what I believe you should do based on 1 Corinthians 7. Live the truth of God's word in the context of your home. Okay, live it. And here's what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 7. It says children are sanctified. Their life is being washed, is being cleansed by the presence of a godly Christian in the home. Now, what's the frustration? The frustration is as you're raising your children through the teen years, do you usually see that happening? No. You often see children will lean towards the more open or permissive parent, right? But what you watch later often is that that child who has been fighting against when they get out on their own and see life for what it really is with or without God, there's a tendency to move back towards the sanctifying influence of the believing parent in that home. So I'm going to encourage you, be optimistic. All right, live by God's directives as best you can in the setting of your home. And then you have to leave the results in God's hands. Okay, one day we're going to stand before God and what are we going to give an account of? Not for how our mate lived, but for how we lived. Okay, and, and here's fascinating in this text. Okay, two times it says, bring them up in the instruction of the Lord. All right. And then it talks about the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Okay, so that all of what's happening in the context of Christian parents comes under the realm of the gospel. All right, it is all done in honor of the Lord, in the context of his presence. There's an assumption in this text that the ch child that grows up in a Christian home comes to a place of faith in Christ and begins to live by the direction of the Lord and lives for the glory of the Lord. All right, that's the, the picture that is present here. That the gospel has somehow crept into that home and is beginning to unfold its power in a glorious way. See, the problem is that most of us grew up with a flawed example. Some flawed very badly and some not too bad. Okay, I can tell you this. My dad grew up in a very difficult home environment. Uh, alcoholism, alcoholism was present and abusive relationship was present. That's the home he grew up in. It's all my dad knew. That was his shaping influence. At the age of about 30 years old, my dad encountered the gospel of Christ. Had four kids. Three of them born in 27 months. Okay? Three births in 27 months. It's possible, actually. Okay? Here's what I'm grateful for. Okay? A dad who was raised in an environment that should have produced a rebel was invaded by the grace of God and blessed my life. The gospel overwhelmed and transformed my parents' life. I am thankful to God for that. That I always liked the boundaries my parents gave me. That I like it in the 70s when they wouldn't let me grow my hair out because that was a sign of rebellion. <laughs> no! Okay? I wanted to grow my hair out too. I was the odd kid, right? With the short hair. Okay? So you got a choice, kids, right? You can resist that, hate that. No, just, you know what? I understand why my parents did that that way. I don't resent them for that. I didn't like it at the time. But what? come under that authority that God has given your parents. Listen to their concerns. Right? Listen to the gospel that God is causing them to live out. And, and you got a choice. It can go well with you if you embrace that. 
You, or you can reject and say, you know what? I'm on my own. I'm going to live my life like I want to. But when you do that, know this. You're walking away from the instruction that is in the Lord and of the Lord. You're walking away from the blessing of going well with you. God is calling. He transformed your parents' lives so that He could transform your life as the gospel would move through their lives into your life. And mom and dad, I'll just say this real quick. Every time we discipline our children, we have an opportunity for the gospel. Because every time you have to discipline your child, you're responding, hopefully, not to an irritation, but to some act of rebellion on their part. And as a loving parent, what do you do? You move in their direction and say, you know what, honey? As your God-given authority, honey, because I had three girls, okay? They say, honey, dad, you had the privilege of saying, son, okay? I can't overlook that. There's a consequence for that behavior. And there is forgiveness. And every time you move through that process in a measured, thoughtful way that does not exasperate and frustrate, you are capturing an opportunity to exalt the grace of God in Christ. Okay, when we react out of anger, we lose the opportunities. But when we respond in love and we say to them, look, here's how you messed up. You know what? As your dad, I mess up too. And I need the grace and forgiveness of God. And so do you. And I want you to know, son, I want you to know, daughter, I forgive you. There's a consequence. I forgive you. Okay? Because every time you do that, what are you doing? You're pointing them to the cross. Because that's what God does for us. We point them to the fact that our sin was forgiven by Christ on the cross and the consequences of our sin were borne away by Him, by him for our benefit and for His glory. So mom and dad, I encourage you. Children, I encourage you. Listen to the directives of God's Word. Ask yourself, is it wise to ignore God-ordained authority? To declare independence. Say, you know what? I'm going to live my life like I want to. Is it wise? Or is it wiser to follow a loving parent who is at times flawed and too restrictive, but who has your best interest in mind and who is mediating the love and discipline of God into your life by God's plan? And when you embrace that, when you respond to that and you say, God, Help me to honor my mom and dad. Help me to love them and follow them and serve them as I should. Help me to do that. And when you as a parent go to God and say, God, I need help in working this out. I need help in understanding how to relate to my children. Maybe you're in a place where your relationship with your children is messed up. You've, you, you've botched it. They're exasperated with you. They're angry at you. They resent you. Well, what do you do? Go to them. Go in humility to your child and say, you know what? The way that I've treated you humiliated you, harassed you, nagged you, is wrong. Forgive me. Oh, man. You blow your kids away. I mean, even if their behavior was deserving of a response, sometimes the response that we give is wrong. It's too heavy-handed. It's not loving. May God help us to be families, moms, dads, children, that honor this very simple passage of Scripture. Children obey and honor. Mom and dad, love and train your child in the instruction of the Lord. Father, as we conclude this service, we thank you for your word.